Hi, I'm Dane Shiner. And I'm J.V. Hampton Van Sant. And welcome to Wannabe Film Buffs. Where we watch all the movies that we somehow managed to miss until now. That reminds me that I need to record that la- re-record that last bit. <laughs> My cadence is weird and I don't know why I leave it in. Anyway, welcome <laughs> back everyone. Yeah, hello. <laughs> that's a fun thing and i kind of i i like that that feature exists on here um (laughs) now that we've talked about the fun new feature that we found on zencaster um (laughs) we are gonna dive into inception the mind fuckiest of mind fuck movies from 2010 yes Oh uh, God! Uh, this mindfucker uh, was released in 2010 and directed by Christopher Nolan. Uh, this is the fourth time we have uh, had him on our show. Mm-hmm. Yep, three Batman movies and Inception. Yep. <laughs> and, uh, I don't know why I'm laughing at that. Um, it's uh, it's <laughs> number it's number 13 on uh, our top 250 list. Uh, it won four Oscars, uh, one for cinematography, sound. Justified. Oh, God, yes. This movie is brilliantly shot. <laughs> uh, best sound mixing, also justified. Sound editing, also justified. And visual effects, holy fuck, also justified. It's um, like if that, if it hadn't won that one, I truly would have to like be like, no, bitch, y'all are wrong. Like, you are actually fully incorrect. And those are, like, the things that I will give this movie. Like, for sure. And I, I will probably give it plot, too. I'm not, spoiler alert, probably going to give it plot. But I, I I also know that I feel like I missed something. But I also didn't miss anything because I was watching it, like, intently the whole time. Yeah. I know this because I was starving because this movie is long. <laughs> and... <laughs> Like and like halfway through it, I got so fucking hungry, <laughs> just didn't eat, didn't go and eat anything because I didn't want to pause it. Um. Anyway, that's not that's not the fault of this movie or anybody else. Really, it is fully my fault. Um, I was oh. also uh, nominated for another four. Oh fuck! Really? Oh, oh god! Yeah. Um, wow. It was nominated for best picture. Uh, won by The King's Speech. Um, okay, that makes sense, though. I have not seen the King's Speech. Is that on our list? I don't know. I kind of hope that it is, because it's one of those movies that, like, I want to see because it's a historical thing, but also, like, I don't know. (laughs) The Academy loves ableism. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm deceased. I'm um, crying. It is not on our list. Oh wow. Okay. So <laughs> the Academy loves ableism, but IMDb does not. <laughs> <laughs> so there we are. Which I can't even actually fully say because IMDb does low key love ableism, but whatever. Yeah, yeah, it does. But like, I'm mm-hmm. so confused because like historic drama written about things that have already happened or like the most original movie in like a decade. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> oh yeah. I don't know. I I don't know. It might have something to do. Who is that main actor in that one? Colin Firth. It might have something to do with him. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's his face. <laughs> that sounds mean, but like I don't know. I I it to my knowledge, I don't see him anywhere else on our list. And I don't think it's because he's bad at what he does, because I know I've seen him in other things and I've enjoyed him. So I can only assume then that it is his face. <laughs> All right. <laughs> to Leonardo DiCaprio and Hardy's faces in this movie. <laughs> mm. Specifically. Uh, <laughs> Tom Hardy. <laughs> All right, so it was also nominated for uh, Best Original Screenplay, also won by The King's Speech. Um, what? I We will get to it. I have a logical thought here because there, I actually, I believe I sent it to you in a text, which oh, is... Really? Yes, which is that this plot relies heavily on a false premise that that he starts to explain in the very beginning and it because of that one basic thing it immediately fucks up the rest of everything uh what one um it's a pop psychology fact of the 10% of the brain bullshit oh right and like that that could be everybody has a weird thing, and that is my weird thing is a psychological thing that we've proven to not be true that we have always known to not be true um and yet somehow sci-fi relies on what if that is true? It bugs me because like <laughs> that's not like like no, because even science fiction you still have to rely just a little bit on like actual fact just a little bit like and the actual fact is that we use all of our fucking brain because it's there for a reason um there is a uh, just a whole movie based on that premise which one was it i don't remember i'm pretty sure it had scarlett johansson in it i know which one you're talking about and i i fucking superpowers fuck i saw that one and it was awful Uh. (laughs) (laughs) like it was awful even separate from that fact. But I think, like, because of that fact, I would actually sort of mark it. Like, I do, like, give it just a little a little tick in the, mm, not quite. Like, bec- more because the entire thing is based on that concept. <laughs> like, the entire technology thing that they set up is based on that concept. So I mean I f- I feel that that move that the movie can get away with it because like the whole subconscious mind thing that part made sense to me and was awesome that felt <laughs> more the actual reason why the technology works than the ten percent of your brain because they never allude to it again exactly which is why I was so fucking annoyed because they only explain it when they're explaining why the technology works mm-hmm. but that doesn't like but then they're but, uh, <laughs> it breaks me a little bit inside when I'm like the justification for this is a very very false thing that like 
I believe that is also a similar premise. I could be wrong on this exact thing, but I'm pretty sure that was also part of the science behind why people thought lobotomies were okay. (laughs) So, like, so I, there are, like, consequences for thinking that particular thing is fine. But also, like, I don't know. It just, it it bugs me. It is it is my thing that bothers me more than other things and more than it probably should. We we should, we should have our movie Monday be that movie for Inception. I fucking refuse. <laughs> I'm telling you right now, I refuse to watch that movie again. Partially because I just don't, like, we know this and we have good reason for this. I don't fuck with ScarJo. No, 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 no. <laughs> nor nor the fuck should we i don't know why everybody was so on board with like being excited that black widow was happening like she didn't go out there and actively say i should play whoever the fuck i want fuck asian people like what like i'm so like no i'm so fucking tired <laughs> That is not a direct quote, but (laughs) the vibe was basically that. In any case, I just, like... Remember that that Twitter meme going around when Scarlett Johansson had that interview and Twitter was like, Scarlett Johansson be like, and it was like every single emoji ever? (laughs) God. Uh... Twitter. Twitter is so savage. (laughs) It is. I, God, I can't stand that woman. Just, like, whatever. It's fine. Um, we should dive into the synopsis. Uh, I'm sorry, did no. you get to the last one? We have two more Oscar noms. Oh, fuck. I'm sorry. I thought we'd gotten to the last one. I'm so sorry. No. Um, Original score, it was nominated for, but it was won by the social network. That's bullshit, and I'm I call very Molly. confused. I call folly there. I also have no no intention of ever seeing that. Um, I mean, I kind of want to feel. I I feel like I kind of want to watch all of the movies that this movie lost to, just mm. to see if they're justified. I know the Social Network isn't. I also <laughs> recall when the Social Network came out because it was like a year and a half after I like joined Facebook. and like it was like during my first year of college and there were like signs up and everything and like uh because it involved it like tangentially involved well not tangentially it like pretty massively involved harvard um and because i was right near harvard like signs for that movie were up everywhere (laughs) and i to this day have not seen that have not seen that movie which at this point is intentional I feel like if you're native in Massachusetts, you just kind of have to hate Harvard. Oh, no, because Harvard is bullshit. (laughs) The only good thing that Harvard did that connects directly to Great Barrington, which I feel proud of, is that they, um, they, I believe, had the first, like, black graduate like no rather sorry no it incorrect um web du bois um uh graduated from harvard as well as also the elementary school that i technically went to but it was named something different and in a different building at that point just fun facts (laughs) 
<laughs> Historical figures. Woohoo! Yeah. Also, someone who deserves a biopic and doesn't have one. Um, yeah. Mm. True. Oh, well. All right. I'm not right, man. <laughs> Jesus Christ. This was already going to be a good episode, I can tell. Um, yes. Best art direction won by Alice in Wonderland. Okay, I get that one. <laughs> yeah, no that that movie is visually stunning, and I I I still like that movie. I understand why people don't, but I really like that movie. <laughs> I did not see it, and the sequel. I like that movie and the sequel. Oh, that's I also be- that sequel. Yeah, the sequel was fine. Like it was, there was nothing bad about it. Honestly, like it was just a sequel. Like it didn't really change anything like i don't know it felt like more of the same but it was good because the same was already good mm-hmm. yeah and then like i don't know it had johnny depp at his weirdest and that's always a good thing i think i'm personally to love johnny depp again I am too, but also I never stopped. And that's like, just, the private thing here is that I never stopped. I just didn't Ooh. tell people. Um, <laughs> that's not the case with everyone, but that was specifically the case for Johnny Depp because I could not get rid of the Pirates movies. <laughs> At least the first two. All of them, including all five of them. Oh, God. <laughs> five of them now oh, no. listen the fourth one is still the best because it the like simply because of the score and the song the title song of that one mermaids it's incredible it is i listen to it all the time just because it's also, so good. also blackbeard was a daddy in that movie Yes, but ooh and, ooh, and Penelope Cruz is always a wonder and a delight to have in any movie. True. Oh, I'm just annoyed that we won't get to cover that one. I mean, <laughs> what, if anything in this list has a Johnny Depp role in it, we could just kind of veer off the rails and do a serious binge hell of all the Pirates movies, because I have not seen the fifth one yet. I... The fifth one was damn good, actually. And now that I remember, like, there, I think there were a couple things that were like, uh, what? But then I was like, nah, the rest of this is damn good. I'm here for it. I rewatched it kind of recently, too. Um, anyway. Yeah. I, <laughs> yeah. It's okay. So, yes. So, um, that, so the last one was, um, was, um, for art design that makes sense yes i also see why inception could have been up for it but i also would say i fully appreciate why it wasn't yeah set design would make more sense but not art design yeah yeah but again like the sets weren't i mean to do those optical illusions sure but like well that's why you get like digital editing and digital effects which they visual effects Yes. Yeah. <laughs> because damn. That sequence where she's running through and just changing shit and he's like running behind her like yep. girl, I told you you shouldn't do that. Somebody go run up and punch oh, you God. in the face. And I'm <laughs> just sitting God. here like and she just doesn't stop and I'm like <laughs> <laughs> going off power trip. 
was like, <laughs> vibe, I get it. But also, maybe listen. Maybe you should listen. Yeah. Also, that goddamn hallway fight. Uh, Which, fun fact, they were like, little to no visual effects using that at all, because they literally built a rotating hallway for them to use. Fuck yes. Oh my god. God, I love uh, visual effects. <laughs> I really do, too. I also, like... Okay, there's one edit in this that was very, very bad. <laughs> like, it just looked wrong oh, no. because their legs did something crazy. <laughs> and like, it was when they, they moved the street so that the street went vertical. <laughs> and they just, <laughs> they start to walk up and it just, it looks so bad. <laughs> Because their legs just sort of scrunch up and, like, do a weird thing that legs don't even do. <laughs> like, I don't know. It did not visually make any sense. And I don't know why they did it. But it's fine. Oh, man. <laughs> but I also don't know how they could have fixed that or done anything other than that. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It is what it is. Um. All right, let's dive into the synopsis because it's going to take us like three hours. Um, <laughs> okay. Whew. I should have put my glasses on, but fine. Um, a young man, exhausted and delirious, washes up on a beach, looking up momentarily to see two young children uh, playing in the sand before he passes out. An armed guard discovers him and has him brought to a large seaside palace where the proprietor, an elderly Japanese man, is told of the stranger's arrival. The only objects found on him were a handgun and a brass top. Well, shit. Um, <laughs> that tells a story on its own. Just, just, we're going to pause for a second. Just imagine, actually, like, you come across, like, a partially drowned human and you check their pockets because you're looking for ID, and and the first thing you find is a handgun, and the next thing you find is a top, and you're like, wait, something here feels strange. Um. Anyway, <laughs> the old man allows the stranger entry. He is dragged in and given some food, which he struggles to eat as the man picks up the brass top and says you remind me of someone a man i met in a half remembered dream he possessed one of the he was possessed of some radical notions the stranger looks up in realization as the scene shifts dom cobb and his partner arthur speak to a prospective client saito in an eerily similar dining room about the services they provide specifically protection against thieves specialized in extracting valuable information from a subject while they're dreaming. Cobb explains that when one is asleep, one's mind is vulnerable to attack, and what he can do is train Saito's mind to subconsciously defend against extractors to protect whatever secrets he may be hiding. He backs up his claim by revealing that he is the most ex most skilled extractor there is and knows all the tricks involved. Appearing skeptical, Saito stands to leave, telling Cobb he will consider his proposition and exits the room to join a small party in the main hall. Arthur casts Cobb a glance, saying he knows 
as the room begins to shake. Um, they walk to an outside balcony where the party goers mingle, and Arthur points to a woman nearby, asking Cobb what she's doing here. Cobb assures him that he'll take care of it and to proceed with the job. He knows where Saito's secrets are. Um, he glanced over at a safe the minute Cobb mentioned the word. Cobb approaches the woman who asks if he misses her. He responds that he does not, he does, but <laughs> can't trust her anymore. This movie would end really quickly if he didn't. <laughs> yeah, it was like, uh, bitch, I don't trust you. Shit. <laughs> and credits. <laughs> mm-hmm. They retreat to a private room where Cobb ties a rope to the leg of a chair and tosses the end out of the window. He tells the woman, Mal, to take a seat and as she asks him if the children miss her. Cobb pauses for a moment before saying, I can't imagine. He then repels out the window to a ledge below, nearly falling when Mal leaves her seat. He breaks into the room below and accesses the safe, swapping out the manila folder inside for another. As the lights in the room turn on, he turns with his gun out to see Mal aiming a gun at him and standing beside Saito and a guard holding Arthur. Cobb asks Saito if she told him, and he slides his gun across the table. Saito responds that you are here to steal from me, or that we are actually asleep. Can I just say, never trust Marion Cotillard in a movie. Yeah. <laughs> just Christian. never trust her. Never trust her. She is too French. Don't trust her. Oh! Are you not <laughs> in any movie because she played Lady Macbeth? <laughs> well, well, the only other time that we have seen her... She was talented. <laughs> Yeah, she was telling uncles. I'm like, no, really, truly, never trust Marion Cotillard in a movie. Never. She's too pretty and too French. It's just not. I don't know why I'm saying it's because she's French, but I will say, I do feel like anytime a French person appears in a movie, they typically are, for some reason, a little bit evil. Mm-hmm. There is no justification for that. I just have noticed that as a thing. Like, either definitely evil or like vaguely mischievous (laughs) in a way that like it might make them a chaos demon um (laughs) anyway it's fine i i wish i could justify that to the listeners but i fucking can't but i know that as we proceed down this list It'll make perfect fucking sense. When we get to Amelie, that that line will make a lot more sense. Anyway, um, <laughs> this proves true. <clears throat> three of them are, oops, the three of them are hooked up to a passive portable automated somnace, uh, intravenous, whatever, doesn't actually matter, passive um, device which feeds them a sleep drug, whatever, insert the S word that I just forgot how to pronounce there, doesn't actually matter, whatever. Keeping them asleep and allowing dream sharing. They are watched over by Nash, another of Cobb's partners. 
he checks Saito sleeping on a bed before going into another room to check on Arthur and Cobb both asleep in chairs. Cobb's chair sits above a tub full of water. Explosions and shouts outside get closer as the mob of rioters moves down the street. Inside the dream, Mal holds her gun to Arthur's head, but Cobb tells her the threat is empty as he hands the manila folder over to Saito. Since shooting him will only wake him up. Mal smiles in agreement, but says that pain is only in the mind and perceived as real as she shoots Arthur in the knee, causing him to cry out. Cobb dives across the table and retrieves his gun before shooting Arthur in the head. He then dashes out of the room under gunfire from Saito's guards. Woo! Arthur wakes up and instructs Nash that things are falling apart, but Cobb still has time to finish the job before he checks on the sleeping Saito. Should I continue with the next one? Uh, That was like one sentence. Okay. Sure. Um... Saito frantically opens the manila folder as the dream begins to collapse and shouts in anger as he finds blank pages inside. Cobb manages to hide away for a moment to look at the contents of the real folder that he's hidden in his jacket, grazing, or sorry, grazing, Jesus, like a cow, just grazing. Anyway, um, (laughs) gazing over the confidential files as the building crumbles around him. Saito is crushed by the debris and wakes up in the apartment, unseen to Arthur as he realizes, oh, as he reaches under his pillow. Arthur tells Nash to wake Cobb by giving him the kick. Nash pushes Cobb backward into the tub as he, and as he hits the water, Cobb's dream is flooded by massive waves cascading through the windows before he wakes up. Saito, having reached under his pillow for his gun, grabs Arthur but is subdued by Cobb, who tells him not all of the information he needed was in the file that he stole. Saito laughs and claims that all the information he had was in the file because he knew of Cobb's ruse all along. He allowed Cobb and Arthur to yeet into his mind as a part of an audition, which they failed, saying the deception was obvious. Now, here's the thing. Mm-hmm. We have gone through multiple paragraphs, and we are in the second scene. Yes. Because this movie is a little top-heavy. Yes. This <laughs> is a... This is a meaty movie. Like, it's not that it starts in media res, but it kind of is. But it also never goes back to tell you how it got there. <laughs> like, so <laughs> it's a movie starting in the thick of it, but never actually explaining how the fuck you got in the thick of it. Which, yep. sure, fine enough. Asserting that his employer, Kobol Engineering, won't accept failure, Cobb throws Saito on the floor and demands that he tell them what they need to know about his expansion project. With his face pressed into the carpet, Saito begins to laugh again and reveals that he is familiar with the material of the carpet. It's it's supposed to be made out of wool instead of polyester. Thus, he comes to the conclusion that he is still sleeping. (laughs) That was funny. Um... 
<laughs> that part to me was very funny. Because I was like, the fuck do you mean you know that this carpet is made of wool instead of polyester? Girl, like that, that for me as a person who deals with fabric on the regular felt a little bullshit, but like, fine. I mean, it's true. You would probably be able to notice, but it was a carpet though. I mean, he did know, uh, mention that this was a quote-unquote love nest, so whoever this guy brought to his apartment, pro- they probably fucked on the carpet. Oh, that's true. Yeah. <sighs> Just thinking back to the days where fucking on a carpet was possible. Anyway, um, <laughs> we're still in quarantine. <laughs> Before the pain. Fuck. Oh, uh, God. Anyway. Sure enough, Saito, Arthur, Nash, and Cobb are all asleep in the car of a train, watched over by a young man named Tadashi, who monitors the time remaining on the passive device. He places headphones over Nash's ears and plays the song that is their cue um, that their time is running out. The music plays faintly within the dream, but not, but enough that Nash can hear it. <clears throat> As the rioting mob outside draws near, Saito commands Cobb, um, commends Cobb on creating a dream within a dream, but becomes confused at his inability to control this dream. Nash reveals that they're not in Saito's dream, they're in his. The mob breaks through the door, attacking everyone in the room, and Arthur, Nash, and Cobb wake up on the train. Cobb berates Nash, the architect of the dream, for designing the carpet wrong and throws Tadashi a wad of money before leaving, telling them every man for himself. Saito wakes up moments later to find himself alone in the car, save for Tadashi, who's resumed a casual pose, but smiles wryly to himself. In his apartment, Cobb spins a brass top and takes his gun, pointing it at his temple as the top spins. When it falls, he breathes a sigh of relief and puts the gun down. His, f- his phone rings, and he picks up to hear his two children, James and Philippa, on the other line with their grandmother. <clears throat> they ask when they... Sorry, they ask when he's coming home, and he responds that he can't because of work. When James asks if their mother is with him... An image of Malacross's mind. Cobb pauses and tells him that mommy's not here anymore. He tells them to behave and that he'll send presents with grandpa before their grandmother hangs up. Arthur knocks on the door and tells Cobb their ride is on the roof. Cobb decides to fly to Buenos Aires to lie low in lieu of their failed job for Cobol while Arthur says he's returning stateside. Cobb asks him to send his regards as they open the door to the helicopter and see Nash beaten and bruised and Saito waiting for them. Apparently, Nash had tried to sell out Cobb and Arthur for his own safety, but Saito has other interests. He offers Cobb a job performing Inception for him, something Arthur claims is impossible. Title! <laughs> uh... <laughs> Uh, Cobb, however, says that it's not impossible, but extremely difficult since it involves planting an idea in someone's mind rather than extracting one. He turns away, 
insisting that he'll find a way to resolve relations with Kobo himself, but Saito then asks him if he wants to go home to his children in America. He promises Cobb that if he succeeds, all he will need to do is make a phone call and the charges keeping Cobb out of the country will be dropped. Desperate, and to Arthur's exasperation, Cobb accepts. Okay, we're gonna pause right here for one more second. Here is a moment where I was like, okay, so they did do a basic, like, general look into psychology. Because Arthur does a thing here explaining what the actual concept of, like, sort of, like, of what Inception is. Yeah. Sort of in inserting this sort of thought into another person's head, right? Um, he gives a good demonstration involving a purple. What was it? What did he say? Don't think did about he say... elephants. Huh? Don't think about oh. elephants. Right. He said elephants. Mm-hmm. He said elephants. I don't know why. It, it, normally, I believe the example is purple elephants, which is a wild thing to say to somebody. <laughs> but, like, but that you then, what are you then immediately thinking of? Correct. That is a basic psychology trick, just sort of generally. But also, I guess it's a pop psychology trick, which means he would have looked into pop psychology, which is not actually helpful here. Fuck, I'm spiraling and I need to stop. Okay, okay, <laughs> I'll stop myself. But God damn it, it bothers me. Um, just oof, oof. Um, also, one last thing. This has nothing to do with that, with the writing part. I just have to say. During this whole movie, I felt like, um, like fucking Joseph Gordon-Levitt was on his A game this whole time. Oh my god, he's so good in this fucking movie. <laughs> like, whoo! Like I knew he was good, but like, god damn it, he's really wow. Like he's he's just so wow. That's not a good helpful description of anything. I'm sorry, but like, well. Y'all know what I mean. Um, They board the helicopter with Saito while two thugs carry Nash away to an uncertain fate. He gonna get whacked. En route... Hmm? He gonna get whacked. Ah! En route, Arthur explains to Saito the nature of Inception. Um, Again, going through exactly what I just stated, I also generally feel like I can skip that bit. Well, not actually. I can't skip it. But basically, coming to the general conclusion that um, planting an idea in someone's head does not guarantee that the idea will take, um, because the subject will discover that it is not theirs, that the idea is not theirs, and will reject it. True inspiration, Arthur claims, is impossible despite Cobb's thoughts otherwise. Saito shares with them his reasoning for the job. He needs the CEO of a compete of a competing energy conglomerate to split up his father's company, um, ensuring that Saito's own pro uh, proclus global whatever the fuck it doesn't matter capitalist garbage um, complete domination over the energy production industry. <laughs> um, <laughs> despite the daunting task, Cobb agrees to perform the job. Saito drops them off at the airport and advises Cobb to choose his team wisely. 
Cobb travels to Paris, where he meets up with his father-in-law, Miles, a professor at a university and the one who taught Cobb and Mal about dream sharing and designing dreams. Cobb asks for an architect, one as good as he, and Miles points him to someone better. He introduces Cobb to a graduate student of his, Ariadne, who is immediately put to the test by Cobb to design a maze that is that takes one minute to create and two to solve. After impressing Cobb with her skills, he tells her more about his line of work and what is required of her. Her job as architect will be to design dreams and create virtual mazes for the dreamer's subconscious to inhabit while allowing Cobb and his team to work. As they talk outside a cafe, Cobb attempts to make Ariadne aware that they are actually in a dream. The realization causes Ariadne to panic and the dream violently collapses. When they awake, Ariadne finds they are in Cobb's warehouse workshop where Arthur, Arthur is monitoring them. Ariadne shows surprise when Arthur says they'd been under only five minutes when it felt like hours. Cobb explains that the mind functions faster in the dream so time moves slower. They go under again and Ariadne is given the opportunity to creatively alter the physics of the dream. Her architectural wonders cause people in the dream, projections of Cobb's subconscious, to search for the intruder, Ariadne, the white blood cells drawn like white blood cells drawn to a virus. When Ariadne makes the mistake of creating a bridge from her memories, Cobb recognizes it and his subconscious reacts as a mob separating Ariadne from Cobb until Maul appears and stabs her. <laughs> I'm sorry. We have to talk about one little thing here, which is um, Christopher Nolan is not good at naming women. <laughs> um, because he named... First of all, Mal just has the name Mal. Which simply means bad. Which, if you have any basic concept of storytelling, genuinely, please never name your main character, your like main antagonist, just bad. Don't don't do it. That's not a good tactic. It doesn't look. It doesn't look good. And then to name somebody Ariadne, which is a name that literally nobody ever the fuck has. That's my actual issue with the name. It's that it's I under it's that one the only reason that that name exists is literally to indicate a Greek figure <laughs> who who weaves webs of things. <laughs> That's Why? Huh? That's Arachne. What wasn't that no, I thought that was Ariadne. Who was there? Ariadne was another. Uh, I'm not person, but Arachne was the one who was turned into a spider and was a seamstress. Seamstress. Oh, right. What did Ariadne do? I... No, Ariadne was the one with the. Oh no, this actually makes more sense. Actually, I'm so sorry. <laughs> Ariadne was the one with the yarn and the and the um maze. I think, yeah. Which makes it even less fucking slick. <laughs> I like references like that, though. <laughs> I no no I understand it just annoys me because he doesn't do that with the dudes he only does that with the women and it is honestly kind of annoying. True. 
like like I find that to be annoying that like oh so he couldn't think of just a name of a woman <laughs> that like wasn't structurally like built into the plot or something that felt weird and forced like <laughs> it it felt a little forced I like when you can recognize those things but also then don't choose a name that nobody has <laughs> like don't like choose the um uh, D, like, or, like, choose, like, or her name is Aria, <laughs> um, with the last name, with, I don't know, whatever. <laughs> That's not really the point. My point is, like, it, it just... Just write like that Ariadne, huh? So the only thing we're supposed to think of from that, if we understand anything about mythology, is obviously the Greek the um, Greek woman with the yarn and the maze and whatnot. Which also, like, again, like, while it is clever to have, like, given her that name, it also is a, not a great choice to have given her that specific name. Because it's not a name that is in common usage. There's, I'm sure, variations of it that are, and I would have gone with one of those. That's just not... Here's me, a amateur scriptwriter, correcting Chris Nolan. Anyway, fine. Whatever. <laughs> Whatever. It's fine. I do like those references. I include them usually all the like a lot but i also do that for every character i don't do that for like just one or like every i don't well i sure as hell wouldn't do that for only the women of this movie like what is the reason that um that that other character's name is arthur i don't know exactly and that's a problem consistency <laughs> like i enjoy consistency when it comes to naming and creative naming if the character is important, think about their name and really, like, have a reason for it. I'm sure I could probably dig and figure it out, but I don't really feel like doing that right now. Anyway, um, <laughs> she wakes up and Cobb rushes to the restroom while Arthur explains that Cobb's subconscious became aware of her as an invasion or sorry, as an invasive being. And she was unable to wake up right away because there was still time on the clock. The only way for her to wake up was if, excuse me, was if she died. Cobb takes, what? Oh, sorry. Cobb takes out his top and spins it, sighing as it topples over. Ariadne leaves the warehouse angry and refusing to open her mind to Cobb um, if his subconscious was as tormented as it seems. <clears throat> Cobb returns to the room and assures Arthur that she'll be back, but he needs to make a trip to Mombasa to recruit an old friend to the team. He finds Eames. <laughs> I was said he finds Ed Hardy for some weird reason. <laughs> wow, he finds Ed Hardy. I actually would, that would be very funny to me personally, but anyway. He finds Eames gambling at a bar and offers him a place on his team as forger and imitator. Well, a forger and imitator, whatever. You know what I mean. Um, Eames agrees before telling 
Tob before telling Cobb that he's being tailed. Jesus Christ, sentences. After pointing to two men at the bar, Cobb recognizes them as uh, Cobble thugs who must be aiming to collect the bounty on his head for the botched for the botched Saito job. Um, Eames creates a distraction while Cobb escapes, leading the thugs on a chaotic chase throughout the city the city streets. The, at the last moment, Saito pulls up in a limousine um, and picks up first Cobb, then Eames. Um, he explains that he's been tracing Cobb to protect his investments. Eames takes them to a local chemist he knows who experiments with somnison and who might be an asset to their team. Yusuf uh, listens to Cobb explain listens as Cobb explains that his job may require the use of a three-layered dream. Yusuf says that this would be otherwise impossible due to the instability of dreams the further down you go. If not for a special solution, he concocted with a powerful sedative. You, to show its effectiveness, Yusuf takes them downstairs where they see dozens of men sleeping under the watch of an old man. He tells Cobb that these men come here to wake up. Dreaming has become their reality. With mm-hmm. the aid of the sedative, their sleep is deep and stable, and they are able to dream for what feels to them like years. Cobb tries the sedative himself and is impressed with its effects. Though shaken after waking from a vivid dream with Maul, he convinces Yusuf to join his team. Yeah, that checks out. Meanwhile, Ariadne returns to the workshop where she tells Arthur that she meant to stay away but couldn't resist the pure creation involved in architectural dreaming. Arthur takes her into a dream and introduces the notion of creating paradoxes such as the Penrose steps, which honestly, those were the coolest fucking things to me. And I loved the way those were used in this. Um, That made me smile a lot. Um, He also reveals that Mal uh, was Cobb's wife and has since passed away. Despite Mal's malevolent, you see what I fucking mean? Anyway, (laughs) despite Mal's malevolent nature within the dreams, her existence now um, only as a projection of Cobb's Sorry. Her existence now only a projection of Cobb's, Arthur tells Ariadne she was lovely in real life. The team bands together and decides that they will create a three-level dream with the third level containing the planted idea. The target in mind is Robert Fisher, the CEO and heir of Fisher Morrow, whose father Maurice is slowly decaying with illness. Decaying with uh, mm-hmm. okay. I have I have a weird criticism just for this synopsis, but like that's fine. This person tried way too hard. Uh, I have a rating system just for the synopsises now, actually. But that's a different. Yeah, this guy tried to be as good as a writer as Christopher Nolan, but failed. Uh, yeah. Eames targets Robert's godfather and business partner Peter Browning. Uh, called him uncle in the movie, but okay. To yep. get a better grasp on the father-son dynamic and to use his imitation skills at their best. 
The team decides that in order to get Robert to split up his father's company and become their, and because of their complicated relationship, a positive idea will trump a negative one. My father wants me to be my own man. Saito oversees most of the plans, and because he wants full verification of any success or failure, decides that he will accompany the team into the dreams as a quote-unquote tourist. Because sure, that's a good idea. Mm. Oh my fucking god, this is way too goddamn detailed. Yeah. We're almost done with it, though. Uh, huh? We're almost done with it, though, if you look at the little... No, I know. We're like halfway... Well, I mean... Like halfway through it, but like fine. Um, as the team prepares over the next few weeks, Arthur shows Ariadne the significance of totems, small personal objects that enable a person to differentiate between dreams and reality. Cobb's totem is his top, which topples over in the real world in the real world, but keeps spinning in a dream. Arthur's is a loaded die, and he instructs Ariadne to create one for herself that she can touch to ensure its validity she creates a semi-hollowed bishop as a sorry a semi-hollowed bishop chess piece as her totem wanting as much time as possible to complete the job the team decides with Saito's help that they will perform a the job on a Boeing 747 during an international flight from Europe to Los Angeles, a 10-hour flight. Side note, is that actually a 10-hour flight? I don't know. Because I feel like it would be longer. I uh, I mean, I remember our, our friend telling us that um, East Coast to Australia is a full 24 hours. So... I, it was like... 12 and a half to get to Hawaii from like California which like like I don't fucking know it took too goddamn long and I was a tiny child when that happened but like <laughs> Jesus Christ um anyway this will give them a week in the first stage of the dreams uh Saito reveals that he bought an entire airline because capitalist bullshit, um, <laughs> making the job neater and without having to buy out certain sections of the plane for access. One evening, after a day of formulating plans, Ariadne finds Cobb dreaming alone in the workshop. Curious, she hooks herself up to his machine and finds herself descending in an elevator. She sees Cobb sitting in a living room with Mal, who quickly detects Ariadne's presence. Cobb gets up and joins Ariadne in the elevator, leading her through some of the levels that Ariadne discovers are each specific memories, something he originally told her never to do. Horrified after seeing Cobb's torment over leaving home without saying farewell to his children, Ariadne takes the elevator alone to the last level where she sees a hotel room, the contents of which are strewn on the floor. She steps on some broken glass, and Mal looks up from the couch, asking what she's doing here. Ariadne tries to explain that she just wants to understand, but Mal becomes defensive and picks up a shard of glass. Cobb arrives and takes Ariadne back to the elevator as Mal rushes forward, shouting at Cobb that he didn't keep his promise. Yeek. Dark shit. 
Eradne and Cobb exit the dream, and Cobb explains that the reason he can't go home is because of Mal's death, because it was thought that he killed her. Thanks to Ari, he thanks Ariadne when she doesn't ask him if he did or not, but she does warn him that if that he's mistaken if he thinks he can cage Mal like that, he needs to release his guilt over her death. Ariadne convinces Cobb to allow her to go with the team into the dreams because he needs someone who understands what he's going through. At that moment, Saito and Arthur arrive and announce that Maurice Fisher has died and Robert will be accompanying the body to the States in a few days. The team boards the flight and sits with Robert in a sectioned-off first-class cabin. Cobb returns Robert's passport, pickpocketed by Arthur as a conversation starter, and then drugs his water before proposing a toast to his father's honor. Within moments, Robert is asleep, and the paid-off flight attendant assists setting up and activating the passive device. Altogether, the team descends into, first, Yusuf's dream. It is raining heavily in New York City as members of the dream are picked up. Arthur and Saito commandeer a taxi, pick up Robert and Eames, and then Yusuf as Saito holds a gun to Robert as part of the kidnap ruse. Cobb and Ariadne follow in a separate car until a train suddenly barges down the middle of the street, hitting their car and temporarily stalling them. Gunfire then opens on the taxi, and the team is forced to take immediate evasive maneuvers, hiding out in a warehouse where it's discovered that Saito has been shot in the chest. Ah, dear. Robert is taken into another room uh, while Saito is laid on the table. Before Eames can shoot him to end his misery... Um, and wake him up. Cobb stops him and explains that due to the sedatives they've taken, they won't wake up if they die. Instead, they'll be sent to Limbo, a shared dream state of raw subconscious where it is practically, like, where time is practically non-existent. The team is angered by this, wondering why they've taken such a risk as they oops, sorry, as they contemplate what to do about the armed forces closing in on their location. They find out that Robert's subconscious has been trained to fight against extraction, and the projections attacking them are a part of that defense. With Saito's condition deteriorating and unable to wait much longer due to the approaching defense projections, the team decides they need to complete the job as quickly as possible. Ariadne confronts Cobb about the control he has over his own subconscious, and he confesses that he can't keep Maul out of his head. He tells her that they had been experimenting with dream states and wanted to see how far down they can go into their subconscious. They wound up in limbo together, unable to leave because of the time remaining on their passive clock. They recreated their lives, spending years' worth of building. After so long, they began to perceive Limbo as their reality. After something like 50 years, Cobb and Maul killed themselves on train tracks to bring them back to reality. Despite returning to the real world, Mal continued to believe that she was still dreaming and believed that dying was the only way to wake up, but refused to leave without Cobb. 
she loved him too much. On their wedding anniversary, Cobb went to the hotel room they always stayed in to find it trashed and the window open. Outside, on an opposite ledge, sat Moll, who revealed to Cobb that she filed a letter to their attorney expressing a fear for her life, effectively framing him in the event of her death and forcing him no other way than to join her. Forcing him no other way than to... Oh my god, this fucking writer. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. refuses to jump and attempts to bring Moll to her senses, but she ignores him and jumps to her death. Since she declared herself legally insane by three psychiatrists. No, legally sane. What? Legally sane, not insane. Oh, legally sane by three psychiatrists. <laughs> uh, Cobb's case for his innocence is overruled by the outstanding evidence against him. With no other choice, Cobb leaves his children behind with their grandmother and flees the country. Oh dear. Oh dear. Okay. <laughs> Ariadne sorry, I just yawned. Uh Ariadne tries to convince Cobb that Mal's death was not his fault and he needs to focus on the mission. Eames prepares himself for as an impersonation of Browning, while Cobb and Arthur interrogate Robert, demanding to know the combination to his father's safe. They pressure Robert by using Browning as leverage. Eames shouts from another room as if being beaten before he is brought into the room with Robert to try and get, sorry, to try and get him to remember. Um, He tells Robert that the safe contains an alternate version of his father's will, one that will dissolve the company if Robert chooses so. Browning tells Robert that his father loved him and wanted him to build something of his own. As Robert's defenses close in on the warehouse, Robert reveals that one word he could decipher, sorry, reveals that one word he could decipher out of his father's last words was disappointed, convincing him that his father didn't love him. Oh no. Sad panda. With the warehouse in danger of being infiltrated, the team pressure Robert once again for a combination. He tells them a series of random numbers that come to mind before they load him into a van and drug him to sleep. They all get in and prepare to enter the second level of the dream, where Yusuf drives the van away from the pursuing projections. Oh boy. In Arthur's dream, Cobb resolves to use Mr. Charles, a method he introduced he introduces to oh sorry, ah, a method in which he introduces the subject to the fact that he's dreaming in order to garner trust. He meets Robert at a bar and tells him that there's that he is there to protect him and someone is trying to access his mind. He convinces Robert that he's dreaming by introducing him to the strangeness of their surroundings, and he calms Robert to control them. Um, He helps Robert remember that he's been kidnapped and leads him to a hotel room, the the first few numbers of which match the first digits Robert thought for the combination, whatever thought of for the combination. There we go. Um, Where the rest of the team regroups. 
Saito's in better health in this level of the dream, but soon begins coughing when Robert's projection on Browning arrives. What? When Robert's projection on Browning arrives, um, Cobb convinces Robert that if Browning, that it was Browning who kidnapped him by asking if he saw Browning being tortured by the kidnappers in his previous sleep level. Browning confesses that he was responsible for the kidnapping um, as the second testament to... Sorry, what? As the second testament left Robert to... Uh, left to Robert allowed him to destroy his father's empire, which Browning could not let him do. Cobb suggests to Robert that they enter Browning's dream to figure out what was really going what was really in the safe so that Robert can decide for himself. Robert agrees, now unknowingly assisting in his own inception, and the team is hooked up again. <clears throat> this time, Arthur remaining behind to watch over them and administrator and administrate wow and administer the synchronized kick when it is time. God, the synopsis. Anyway, uh, as the team goes into the third dream in actuality, Roberts, Arthur is forced to fight off more of Roberts' defensive projections while in the first dream, Yusuf continues to drive the van. The third dream is set in snow-covered mountains where Robert's safe is heavily guarded in a mountainside fort. The team splits up to draw the guards away. Cobb goes with Ariadne, Eames travels alone to ward off the guards, and Robert and Saito begin ascending a mountainside to access the blind side of the fort. Uh, meanwhile, Yusuf momentarily loses control of the van, and it tumbles down an incline. Um, the, and, sorry, and it tumbles down an incline. The tumbling effect translates into Arthur's dream as he fights off Robert's projections. The environment around him begins... Sorry, what? Jesus. The environment around him spinning as gravity reverses it, reverses and rights itself. As Yusuf continues driving, he becomes cornered on an elevated bridge with one of the... with one car full of projections stuck with him. Yusuf plays the plays music through Arthur's headphones to warn him of the incoming kick before driving backwards um, off the bridge. Upon impact, the, the force sends Arthur in his dream flying, as and as the van plummets in midair, there's a loss of gravity in Arthur's dream. The impact also translates um, into the third level of the dream. Saito, wow. Saito and Robert look up the mountainside as they are forced to cut their lines as the avalanche sweeps sweeps down upon them. Cobb realizes they've missed the first kick, but they still have time for the second one when the van hits the water off the bridge. Um, I'll take these, like, these three lines and the next one because yeah sure <laughs> sure van drives off the bridge 10 seconds left to impact dream two three minutes to synchronize the kick arthur struggles with a way to do this without gravity dream three 
60 minutes left. <laughs> Fuck. Yeah. <laughs> so also just felt like, yes, this movie feels like it is 60 minutes left, which is also bullshit. God <laughs> damn it. Anyway. With little Fuck. with little time left, Cobb demands to know if there is another way into the fort. And Ariadne relents into telling him a secret underground entrance that Robert and Saito can access. Cobb sent Cobb sendeth them there. Cobb sends them there. <laughs> mm-hmm. God damn synopsis, this guy. Oh, correct. Uh, Cobb sends them there, all while Saito's condition deteriorates. They finally enter the main room, where the safe is located, while Cobb and Ariadne watch from a sniper's angle. Succumbing to his injuries, Saito is left to lay down, coughing blood as Robert continues forward. However, as Robert comes into Cobb's view, so does another person. Mal drops in from the ceiling and shoots Robert down before Cobb comes to his senses and shoots her. Eames is ordered to the room as Cobb and Ariadne rush to the site. Finding Robert dead, Cobb labels the mission a failure since the only other place where Robert has gone is Limbo. Ariadne, however, convinces him that if they go into Limbo, they'll have enough time to find Robert and bring him back. Eames agrees to use the defibrillator to jumpstart Robert's heart to help while Cobb and Ariadne go under. Sure. Um, (laughs) Meanwhile, in Dream Level 2, Arthur devises a unique plan. He uses phone wires to tie the team together that was clever um and brings them into the elevator he lines the elevator or the outside of the uh, he lines the outside of the elevator car with explosives timing down till the kick um with the intention of using explosive force to create uh to create gravity and instigate a kick to create gravity this guy knows science uh, sure. And create gravity. Fuck. Anywho, uh, in Limbo, Cobb and Ariadne tore the deteriorating world. This guy really likes the world. The word deteriorating. That he, yeah. that he and Mal once built. They see old homes and buildings before they find the one where Cobb knows Mal must be. If they find Mal, they'll find Robert because Mal will want to use something Cobb wants to bring him to her. Sure enough, they enter the apartment and Mal is waiting for them. She tries again to convince Cobb that this place is with her in their real home with their children, but Cobb reveals a terrible truth. The reason why Mal believed that her dreams were real. Uh, Give me just one second. Sorry. Getting phone calls. (laughs) Reclaiming. Okay. Sorry about that. Um, shit. Okay, so I just... Where the fuck are we? I'm so sorry. Uh, well, they were in limbo. Mal had stored away. Mal had stored away. What the fuck? I feel like I have lost my place. I'm confused. Okay, yeah, no, found it, got it, cool, thanks. Um, 
While they were in limbo, Mal had stored away a truth that she didn't want to believe anymore. Her totem placed within her safe, lying on its side, immobile, telling her that telling her that her dream, her limbo, was reality. In an effort to save her mind, Cobb broke into her safe and spun the top to convince her that this world was not real. However, he did not know that once they really woke up, she would continue to believe that. This is well, this was how he knew Inception would work, because he performed it on Mal the on Mal first, and his guilt over her subsequent death has been plaguing him ever since. He tells Mal that he will stay with her in limbo if she tells him where Robert is, and she reveals he's on the porch. Ariadne finds him and then pushes him off um, as an improvised kick. Robert comes back to life in Dream Level 3 with... People are also calling me. With Eames's aid and opens his own safe. Writing, uh, writing, finding within an image of his bed-stricken father muttering his last word. Robert acknowledges that his father was disappointed that he, uh, Robert acknowledges that his father, Jesus fucking Christ. Robert acknowledges that his father was disappointed that he couldn't be him, but Maurice says, no, no, I was disappointed that you tried. Maurice then points to a cabinet while Robert finds the will and a paper fan his father made for him once as a child. Tearfully, Robert looks up to see his father has passed and breaks down as the van hits the water. I'll take Dream... Oh, oh, okay, sure. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Dream 2. Arthur hits the detonator and the explosives force the elevator down, creating artificial gravity on the team. It's a force going another way, not gravity. Um, Fuck. <laughs> Dream 3. A series of explosions set by Eames's rock... Uh, <laughs> by Eames rocks the fort, collapsing the main door. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> In limbo, the synchronization of kicks pulls on Ariadne as she calls for and she calls for Cobb to join her. Um, Cobb says that he will stay in limbo, but not with Mel. By this time, Saito has died and will have joined limbo as well. Cobb must find him and promises, but promises to return. Ariadne leaps off the side of the building and rides the kicks back to dream one. In in the van, Robert wakes up and escapes the submerged van with Browning. Arthur Lee, Arthur and Ariadne share an oxygen tank with Yusuf before they escape the van, leaving Cobb. Robert and quote-unquote Browning make it to shore where Robert reveals that his father really did want him to be his own man and that he's going to do just what just that, and liquidate his father's company. Knowing the mission was a success, Eames drops the Browning mask. In limbo, Cobb washes ashore where they learned, or sorry, where the armed guard finds him. He is brought to the seaside palace where the elderly Japanese man recognizes his brass top. Cobb recalls that, um, recalls what he was there to do and calls to Saito asking 
him to come back with with him and honor their arrangement. The elderly Saito reaches for Cobb's gun. Cobb wakes up on the airplane and looks around, startled to see Arthur and Ariadne smiling him, at him. He looks at the now-awake Saito, who remembers picking up his phone and dials. The plane lands in Los Angeles, and Cobb nervously moves through customs where security checks his passport, but allows him passage through, welcoming him home. Cobb walks past the rest of the team, and Robert, who pauses for a moment as if recalling a half-remembered dream. Ahead of him, Cobb sees Miles calling him over. They drive home together, where Cobb hesitates before taking out his brass top. He spins it on the table in the kitchen as his children appear at the back door. He runs to them, elated to see their faces again as the top continues to spin, wobbles a bit, and the screen turns to black. I think we can actually probably stop it there. Yes. Um, mainly because this last bit just is this person diving into whatever the fuck Your own fuck- that last moment is. <laughs> Which, like, I don't particularly give a shit about that last moment. Like, it was visually stunning. I just don't really give a shit about it. But, like, that's fine. Because all, um, all these fucking cynics out there want to believe that Cobb was dreaming, where in actuality, um, Cobb's totem is not the top. Right. It is his wedding ring, which only appears when he's dreaming. And when he wakes up, he is not wearing it. He is alive. It is a happy ending, goddammit. Sure. Um, we'll go with that. I just I don't particularly care either way. I will say the top when it was spinning previously didn't really wobble unless it was Yeah. Like, you know, so unless it was in reality. So there we are. Um I just uh this movie is needlessly complicated. <laughs> I, mean, I don't know about needlessly. It's... Okay, this movie is just complicated, and maybe it needed it, but maybe I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this movie is like, and it's not even that I don't like a complicated film. It's that I like the complications in the film to be like, I don't know. I like moral complications, I guess. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I like moral complications in movies. Like or just things that require like a a level of thought to them, yes, but not that I have a PhD in like physics. <laughs> Which is what this one feels like it was requiring of me. Uh but I don't hate it. I just don't have much to say about it because it was long and I was hungry towards the end of it, which might have colored my experience of it, making me feel less pleasant towards it than otherwise. I don't know. I've got nothing. I have a review, however, for whoever writes these synopsises. Now, here's the thing. They (laughs) fucked up last time when it came to fucking Eve's Bayou. Eve's Bayou didn't have a finished synopsis, and that was bullshit. Um, And I'm claiming racism, whatever. Um, But then, with this one, it goes into way too much detail, almost like they're, like, 
pulling from someone's thesis for no fucking reason. <laughs> and I just don't understand. Like, I don't understand why they think that's necessary. A lot of these sequences wherein they're explaining certain things could have actually been maybe a sentence or two. Yep. Rather than them being long, drawn out sentences explaining each individual detail of and even like, the dialogue. <laughs> Yeah, like that was unnecessary. <sighs> I don't know. I don't know. There's a subplot involving his children that just felt unnecessary. <laughs> like his children felt unnecessary as a detail of the story. Mm. Like they were important, but like they just felt unnecessary. I mean, it was a reason for him to go home and it was his end goal. So true, but home in and of itself without without the children would have still could have still potentially been an end goal that would have made sense i guess but like what would he go home to an empty room like well simply to stop running i mean sure but and to stop being afraid of extradition i mean he was already fleeing uh, the country at that point so uh, that's true yeah. but like yeah, jesus it point. just I can't figure that it just felt, <laughs> it felt long and unnecessary, but <laughs> maybe it's just that, that, like, and I can't even say that it had pacing issues because it moved. It just, there was so it was much long. and it felt like it was too much. This is one of those movies that needs to be long. <laughs> it does. But then I get to the end of it and I'm like, fuck, what did I just, but why though? But why though? <laughs> is my question <laughs> like my like yes it does it did need to be the length that it was it was the correct length it just also uh i feel like there was supposed to be a point and there wasn't if that makes sense like i don't know that there is a um that there is a like cohesive message for this no not really it's just like it's just a narrative Exactly. Which, like, I mean, not that every narrative has to have a point or a purpose, but if a movie's going to be this long, I sort of require it to have one. Because <laughs> otherwise I'm just left there sitting at the end of it like, I just spent two hour, two and a half hours in this, like, watching this movie, and why did I spend that much time watching this? And it doesn't answer that question for me. <laughs> okay. I might just be in a cynical mood. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't tell me why I needed it. So fuck this movie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, pros and cons for you? Uh, I don't really have any. So uh, Pros, uh, the soundtrack. Holy fuck. Um the the just the premise as a whole is fucking fascinating. Mm. Um, the delivery of said premise, and also just that hallway fight. Holy shit, that was amazing. <laughs> yes, yes, indeedy. Uh, my con <laughs> is Leonardo DiCaprio. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> like I don't know. I didn't like him in this movie. I. I will not dissuade. I will not attempt to persuade you otherwise because I don't know that I cared enough. Um, he, it just he just kind of gave he gave every line of dialogue 
of in like a one or two ways. Yeah, I like him better as Jay Gatsby. Um, I liked him as uh, the protagonist in Shutter Island. Oh, fair. Okay, I still haven't okay. seen that, but like, yeah. But yeah, not that. Just... Yeah, I mean, like, uh, it did feel like he wasn't on his A game for this. True. Also, he was really good in The Revenant. Oh, I'm sure he was, but I was never going to see that movie. Um, <laughs> like, there was never a chance. Whew. Um, I don't know. Once somebody tells me that they had to hollow out a carcass and live inside of it for a moment, I'm like, you know what? Actually, I don't think I need to see this movie. Um, <laughs> and yes, I'm aware we're going to watch Star Wars later. <laughs> I also love that that's like a meme of Star Wars that I just know. <laughs> like, I, because I have seen all of the Star Wars movies, but I don't remember that section because I was too young to remember it. Oh, yeah. That was. Or, like, yeah. maybe somebody fast forwarded through it be- without showing it to me, which I don't really give a shit. But, like, that's the kind of thing that would have. Like, I don't know. I don't know. I have an issue with then suddenly people living inside of other animals. I have an issue with that, and I cannot explain what that issue is. It just makes me cringe and gives me heartburn, and I cannot explain why. Um, So, there we are. Um, I don't know. I uh, have... I don't know. Let's go through the rating. Uh, Cool. Um, Just quick spoiler. Um... Yes. <laughs> this movie's a 10 out of 10 for me, so, like, this is boring for me to, to go through. Do you want to go through your rating? Because it's not... Well, I don't really... Like, we'll, I'll say... We'll, let's handle it the way we normally do. Cool. Go right. through the thing, and I will say yes or no. All right. Uh, <laughs> plot is the story compelling. Oh, boy. Um, And here we're already at a complicated one for me, which is, like... Yes and no. Like, I would give it... I'm going to give it half for premise, but the plot itself just sort of started boring me, and also it had that thing that was a little bit of a hole that, like, bugged me a lot. Okay. So, a half. Uh, two. Pacing. Does the story move forward at a reasonable pace? Uh, yes, but it's long and I hate it. <laughs> Another half, just because it felt long. Okay. Like, I, if it feels long, like, I, I think if it feels really long, even if it was moving at a clip, like, it still felt long. And it, I don't know. That whole sequence wherein he was being chased, I think, actually felt kind of useless. Oh, the Mombasa one? Yeah. Okay. Then the moment where they were, like, fighting people on the edge of a cliff just felt unnecessary. Like, there are lots of moments of action sequences that felt unnecessary, so I will stick with the half. All right. Uh, Acting and characters. Do the actors sell what's on screen? Are there compelling characters? Yada, yada. Yeah, I'll give it that one. Sure. Mm -hmm. Uh, Writing is a script and dialogue noticeably good. Uh, dialogue, yes. 
and general writing yes yeah okay sure mm-hmm. uh, soundtrack is the score good to listen to yes though i actually felt weird about the sound editing of this film okay um and the my issue was a lot of the dialogue felt really low and then the music came in real hot true <laughs> And, like, I just noticed that happening a lot, and I felt like I had to lean in a lot to hear what they were saying. And then the soundtrack assaulted my face, and I was like, nope, that's rude. Um, So I will give it this one. I will give it this one. But it is... It's it's a tentative. All right. Uh, Directing, is the movie well made as a whole? Yeah, I suppose. (laughs) My, I just, this is one of those where I'm like, fuck, I don't know. Like, I don't know. Because, like, it, you know what? I will say that it is a well-made movie. Yes, I can give it that. Yeah. All right. Uh, cinematography. How well is the movie shot visually? Oh, that's an immediate yes. It was a visually stunning movie. Yeah. All right. Like, no fucking qualms about that one at all. Uh, immersion. Did you stay engaged? Uh, <laughs> this one's a no like i was but i didn't really want to be gotcha. i was engaged because it was my responsibility to be engaged but i think i would have disengaged quickly okay yeah uh so that's a no <laughs> rewatchability would you want to watch this movie multiple times <laughs> i'm not doing that I'm not doing it. I'm not I'm not rewatching this movie. I refuse. It's too it's too long and I don't have the time. <laughs> and uh ten, overall oh uh, overall enjoyability. Uh was it fun or provocative of meaningful thought or emotion? Uh, I didn't feel anything. <laughs> like, like it it was it was an action. Actually, no, I can give it a no. I can give it a no um, based on the last two questions there. <laughs> based on the, did it provoke meaningful thought? No, except for making me rant about pop psychology for a minute. <laughs> and then did it leave me, like, did it give me, did it give me the feels? No, it didn't. Um, And I... Like, I guess if the feeling it provokes in me is boredom, I'm probably going to give it a no. Okay. Like, the action sequences were fun and whatever, but I was still bored. All right. (laughs) So what's your final I I think that's a six. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's a six. (laughs) Which feels low, but then I'm like, I see where I got to six. Um. Um, it's a six for me. I like it's fine or whatever. I understand why it's on this list and it has its place and it deserves to be there, but I'm I whatever. <laughs> and that's coming from me. I enjoy action movies most of the time, providing they're not like filled to the grim with to the grim wow to the brim with toxic masculinity (laughs) um which is again few and far between but like i don't know when you do find those ones i enjoy them a lot but like oh this just it felt long and and boring but 
I can see why it was good and why people enjoyed it. All right. Yeah. I can give people the fairness of I I I I see why you love this and and go ahead with your bad self. Do that. Yes. <laughs> yes, honey. Live your best life there. I however will be sleeping. Um <laughs> I however will catch up on sleep and uh something else or I will just rewatch Birds of Prey. Anyway. Um <laughs> Which at this point I don't think I can justify rewatching Birds of Prey because I the next time I rewatch it I will probably quote too many things. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, uh, I guess that does it. Um, so, thanks y'all yeah. for checking this one out. Um, thanks for checking out our hashtag our hashtag Movie Monday uh, episodes. Um, they're fun and I enjoy them. Yes. Oh yes. As was evident by the last one we did, <laughs> which is funny because as we say this, we have not recorded it yet. Yes. Um, <laughs> but I can already tell y'all that one is fun for me. Um, <laughs> oh man. But um, <clears throat> now, um, hopefully you guys are doing well. Um, continue to do as well as possible. Shit's starting to reopen. Uh, be safe when you're going outside. Continue wearing your masks wherever possible. Uh, normalize wearing those because honestly, it's fine. Also, like accessorizing, get yourself a cute mask if you can. Just because. Treat your damn self. Have a cute thing on your face. Anyway, <laughs> have a cute thing on your face. Also, Whatever. I was going to make that sexual and I stopped uh, myself, but it's there and now you have it. Anyway, take that phrase out of context. Woohoo! <laughs> um, be well. Do as much good work as you possibly can while remaining safe, even if we are no longer in quarantine at the time that you hear this. Whatever. And stay safe out there. Bye-bye. Yeah. Ha <laughs> ha, bye you lovely, lovely people. Oh, and shit, it's playing us off, I forgot. Ah.